Hey everybody, my name is Mark Kondrat and this is Let's Meet for a Beer, a podcast where I connect with people behind some of the coolest breweries, distilleries, and restaurants to share their stories. We discuss the challenges that they've overcome and what they do to help make our community better. Thanks for listening. Let's get going. All right, welcome back to the podcast. I'm here with Laura Coles, marketing and PR director and co-founder of Prairie Dog Prairie Dog Brewing, as well as Good Jay start. Potter, executive chef and co-founder. How are you guys doing? Good. Just awesome. good. Doing Not great now. Hearing the buzz behind me makes I know. me happy. Yeah. Well, and yeah, when I got here, Jay, you were doing a tour of the of the barbecue area. Yeah, so I was just it, saying it's uh, it's really nice to be able to do that again to be able to walk through there and do a quick five minute tour at Clifford, the big red smoker. It's, yeah. it's been so many years since I've been able to do that. It's one of my favorite things to do. How has it been? So what are we a week, week or so without masks at this point? Uh, it's been at a least month, a week. I think let's say it's between three <laughs> days and a month. Well, I was just in Edmonton, so it was back to wearing a mask. So now I'm like, uh, anyway, oh, yeah. so how has it been? For your staff, how has it been for you know your your clients, your customers? Um, has it been kind of a welcome relief to have no masks? Is it scary for some people? What's kind of the the what's the feedback you're getting? I think because we uh, set up the all inclusive kind of dining area and we set those boundaries kind of early, our customers at least we haven't really had a lot of negative or positive feedback. It's just been back to normal and because we have that anti-discrimination like straight up in our code of conduct people haven't been making any comments our staff are kind of we have a few staff that are still wearing masks um they're still just not quite at that point where they're ready to take them off and we we said right from the beginning that we'd support them in whatever decision and it's i don't know i feel like it's been a really easy transition in our dining room um personally for me i was done with it um i was done with it in the summer when they opened up again as well and uh always did we always did the right thing right always follow guidance um but i always hated masks uh but it was it was doing the right thing to keep each other safe so as soon as they say i didn't have to wear it anymore i was done yeah no i hear you um okay so let's back up a little bit um don't want to talk only about covid um let's just talk about how you guys started so um the group that you guys started with, um, who, who, was, who are the original founders for you guys? I'll ask you, Laura. <laughs> that seems very pointed. Um, so Jared, my husband, Jared, and myself, and then Tyler and Sarah were the original okay. um, four. And very quickly, Jay came on. He's been, we consider it from day one, because um, from concept to actually moving forward with the business, Jay's been with us. Um, we were originally going to just consult with him and make sure we were doing things okay. But <laughs> obviously the executive chef position was there and it was an easy, I think it was an easy choice for everybody. It was super, I mean, I mean just, it was, it was an easy choice. It was a, it was a harder thing to actually do. I was still living in Toronto, um, working at a decent job. I, I, I do tell this story quite a bit and, uh, you know, it was always the four, uh, the four folks, including my brother and sister-in-law that were living in California. Tyler called us one Christmas morning. I think it was 2015, maybe 2016. 2015. 
15. <laughs> Christmas morning, he calls us. I'm at my parents' place in Cayuga, Ontario. And he says, you know what? Um, the political climate is kind of changing down here. This was, of course, before Trump got elected. And uh, he said, we're going to, we all want to move back to, to Canada and start a brewery. We're thinking Calgary. Because Jared was originally from here. I had lived here for a couple of years, 2011, 2012. Left just after the floods in 2013. Um, so at that point in time, I said to Tyler, I was like, you know, uh, I've been a chef for an awful long time. I'm working for a food service company right now. I will give you as much advice as I possibly can. And I think it was about two weeks later that I called them back and I was like, if there's a spot, I really want to be a part of this. Yeah. It's, it just seemed like an incredible opportunity to um, stop watching the phone. <laughs> Somebody no, will get she's, it. <laughs> she's staring at all the customers. Yeah. She's had a big grin on her face the whole time. <laughs> I, yeah. So I said, I, I really wanted to be a part of that. I really wanted to get, get in on a ground floor with... Um, my brother was the smartest person that I had ever known before I met Jared, who was obviously the the smartest person, our president and brewmaster and CEO I'm and financial the person. person I married <laughs> yes, him. You that's right. So. That's right. Um, <laughs> but just just knowing these folks and knowing their drive and knowing what they wanted to accomplish in this community, it really it was a really easy sell for me. So was it? Was your vision when you opened, was it starting a brewery with a restaurant attached to it? Was it starting a restaurant with a brewery attached to it? Or was it starting a brewery and starting a restaurant? Like, do you know what I mean? Because to me, I see them as two very separate businesses. So what, what was your what was your vision on that? Yeah, initially it was going to be a brewery. Well, at least my vision of it was a brewery with a small restaurant attached to it. Um <laughs> I didn't have, I'd never really worked in the restaurant industry before, like not even as a server, I'd work in a concession. So it was such a foreign, a foreign entity. Uh, the brewery side really excited me working in a ta- like all the tap rooms that we went to seeing the, like going in and seeing the ownership and seeing that pride and wanting to be on the other side of the counter showing off, quite yeah. frankly, the beers that we were creating, it was a brewery first and then a restaurant that's, that very quickly changed to brewery and restaurant 50-50. Yeah. And now it's kind of moved to brewery. Restaurant is 65 plus percent and the brewery is. We're, we're, we've as got far some as projects. Is concerned, we've right? got some, like yeah. We've got some projects that are going to, it's going to mm. balance that again. Right. Um, and not, it's not to say I'm not super excited about the brewery side and the like, oh, yeah. proud of what we've accomplished there, but the restaurant's really taken a lot more work and dedication than what I, my original vision had. Totally. And it's, it's also personally been the most headache. This is the restaurant side. I've had a few times when I've gone home and I've thrown my hands up and I've shouted at Jared, like what the actual, <laughs> what, why did we do such a big <laughs> restaurant? On this podcast? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. I, yeah. There was definitely an F-bomb there. Like yeah. it was, what did we do with opening a huge restaurant? And then I come in the next morning and it, it flops again because I see people in the dining room, see people that maybe aren't necessarily beer drinkers, but they're here with their beer drinker friends mm-hmm. and they're getting to experience that gathering place that we've created. And that's the restaurant. So now I'm just as equally proud of both. But it definitely yeah. was brewery first, I think, initially. Absolutely, and then yeah. 
<clears throat> I remember like that just going back to that phone call that I had with Tyler on Christmas Day was we're we're gonna open a brewery. Um, we're moving back to Canada, probably Calgary, and we might want to have a restaurant attached to it. Right. And right. that's when I said, uh, you know, I'll give you as much advice as I possibly can, and um, and and things kind of snowballed from there. But yeah, you know, it's it's in our name, Prairie Dog Brewing, right? Like we we were originally a, a brewery that needed to have food with the space that we have. Yeah. Um, in order to attract more people in a in a more inclusive clientele. Right. Yet before day one, we brought in Canada's largest smoker into the kitchen oh, that we yeah. had built. So it very quickly <laughs> yeah. was restaurant. Well, we had a yeah, we had a twelve thousand foot, uh, twelve thousand square foot facility that we needed to fill up. And I'm not going to mention names. Our original, our original designer that was helping us uh, design the building made a couple mistakes on our uh, single stall inclusive restrooms. Okay. And the accessible restrooms were a little too small for what was code. So they are right behind the kitchen. And what happened was we had to bump out the kitchen wall and essentially the dish area there another two feet. So what that did was it took away 18 feet of our cooking line that we had kind of allocated for the restaurant business. So what had happened, we always wanted to have a smoker. But it was always going to be a little one that we could do ribs or those sorts of things in. And I remember the day that that happened or the day after that happened. It's like, what are we going to do with this this space, like storage or whatever? And I turned to Jared and I said, do you want to get like a really big smoker? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. So I just started looking it up and found the largest barbecue pit smoker that I could find. It is, as far as I know, still the largest in Canada. There are at least three or four others like it. I was in Toronto at one point in time uh, visiting my ex-girlfriend for Christmas and happened to know a place that was a guy from, I think he was from Alabama, um, and he had just purchased the same unit, and he was just opening his restaurant like that week. So it really it was kind of serendipitous that way that I went and I met him, I visited him, I, I stuck around there for three hours, just like learning his machine so that I knew in five weeks time we were going to get our machine. Right. Um, but it's been, it's, it's been awesome. Like, so was the initial plan that it was going to be barbecue? Like when you were talking nope. about having a restaurant, <laughs> was it? Because it seems like, like if you come in here now, it looks like it was like obvious news day one. But you were saying just a little smoker um, obviously turned into like literally Clifford, the giant yeah. red smoker. Um, did you have any background on barbecue? Like, I, like what was your culinary that's background? That's a great question. Um, the answer is no. I didn't know anything about southern style barbecue. Uh, but I've been... <clears throat> Pardon me, in and out of restaurants since I was 14. Um, I got my Red Seal chef accreditation in 2011 after I went to school. I've worked in restaurants and fast food joints such as Taco Bell and Eastside Mario's and uh, a couple independent places. <clears throat> uh, school cafeteria, like I've been around. I've done fine dining. I, I, I spent... Uh, a uh, good chunk of a year down at uh, Charcut here downtown when I first moved here at golf course. Uh, there's there's so many things that I've done, but 
Southern Style Barbecue was not one of them. Oh, that's awesome. So immediately when we signed the papers, we ordered Clifford the Big Red Smoker. I started watching YouTube videos and I started buying books. And that's how I spent the remaining time before we opened or before we actually hired a staff and had to train them was, okay, now I have to teach myself barbecue. Like, and that's, it worked, I think. Yeah. Well, yeah, obviously. Eh? We so, did some test runs on the little tiny one yeah, that Jared no, and I had. Yeah, that's right. We had, a, we had a, a Bradley smoker, just this little guy that I was trying to cook brisket and pork shoulder in minus 25 degree weather outside in Calgary during the winter. We built a kind of an insulation box for it with just a, some leftover insulation from when we were doing the garage at brother and sister loves old place and that yeah that first time that first time that i had to cook a brisket in there took like 16 hours in the middle of winter and it was just a a brick by the end of it i had everybody over all right this is what we're gonna do we're gonna do brisket and i had to serve this dried up piece of just it was not it was not good it was a it was a typical first run it was a typical first try i'm, I'm picturing really christmas vacation when they cut into the turkey and it just kind of like explodes yeah. with <laughs> dust yep. yeah not quite yeah. but it's close. A, it, we had sides though we had we had i think we i, I made slaw and cornbread so there were other yep. things that folks could eat yeah now. so um, what what initially attracted you to you know be in the kitchen because i have a ton of respect for chefs but you know i look at how much work you know that they do and it just seems like the day-to-day is is crazy and then to me even looking at chefs i feel like barbecue is like the next level in terms of because you're always you're always or uh, sorry i'm imagining that you're always looking at it going okay well if you're putting a brisket in you know that's gonna cook for x long so you're always planning well ahead of so you're never you don't you, you don't seem to have any downtime um, so where, where does the passion come from what, like, um, to, to do something like that? Okay, there's a couple of questions there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, where does the passion come from? Uh, I, can, I can speak generally for um, the folks that I know, that I have known, that I've worked with in the past. Um, generally speaking, the appeal to kitchen work is every day is different. So every day is different. You're on your feet. You're working with people that you really hopefully enjoy um, spending a vast majority of your time with. Um, But every day is different. Every day is somewhat hectic. There's there's always so much to do. There's always something to be busy about. So the, the appeal for me particularly was I hated being stuck. I hated the thought of being stuck in a monotonous, and no offense to anybody listening here that has these types of jobs, um, being stuck in a monotonous, uh, same in, or day in, day out, same old thing, office job. Yeah. Um, I have mad respect for my dad that did it for 45, 50 years. He was had one career his entire life working for the Workplace Safety Insurance Board in Ontario. Um, and I just, I knew from the day that we had the grade nine, take your kid to work day, that (laughs) this is not something I, I, 
I respect you, Dad, but this is not something I want to spend my time doing. Um, so generally speaking, it's it's fast paced. It's it's fun. Um, sometimes the best days are those days that you're just getting hammered all day. Not hammered on beer, just hammered on <laughs> hammered on bills and making food, and you're sweating and you finish that and then you have a beer and you look around at the camaraderie that you have with the folks that you're working with. And it's, it's, it's somewhat exhilarating and it's somewhat, um, it's just a, it's a good environment to be in for the most part. Yeah. So that's generally, sorry. Generally, generally, personally, personally, what, what inspired me? Uh, my grandfather on my dad's side, was a uh, was a cook in the Second World War, and I remember he he had you know before I actually started working in a kitchen he had taught me everything I knew and I had made some really terrible cakes and I had made some really terrible French toast with him but you know he taught me the the first thing I, I think I can ever remember about cooking was he taught me how to crack an egg with one hand. So only two hands, just one hand. Yeah. And I used to be able to do two in each hand. Yeah. Once I got better at it. <laughs> um, but he was a cook in the Second World War. He had a couple of restaurants when uh, when my dad and his brothers and sister were growing up, and they all worked in the restaurants. So my uncles, who were never professional cooks or professional chefs in their um, in their uh, adult life have always kept that tradition going in their in their families they're always the cooks of the family they always we always had really great barbecues we always had really great uh family feasts um and christmas and thanksgiving and these and they always threw at all the stops and they're always really great at what they did yeah but so personally for me getting into the kitchen was was all my grandfather. Yeah. So your dad grew up working at a restaurant. Yep. So that's why he was attracted to the boring office job. He's Probably. like, fuck this. Yeah. I'm not working in a yeah. restaurant for my life. So it's funny how you, there almost is that like generational, like it, yeah. it, it skips, right? And now the funny thing is, is as soon as you get to the position that I'm in, you don't spend an awful lot of time in the kitchen anymore. Now I'm in my corner office in the in the in the room that we're in right now just i i sit at a table i work at my computer and and i do a lot of paperwork and i yeah i do a lot of uh number crunching and uh, communications with suppliers and those sorts of things but every once in a while like that's what i'm that's why i get so excited about taking people in to talk about food and talk about clifford right? yeah because i don't get to do it very often no, absolutely you got the office job you always wanted <laughs> that's right that's right um okay so laura the last time you, we did the podcast together. It was right before COVID. And so I was thinking about that earlier today because we did the recording and then we actually drove together down to Village Brewing mm-hmm. for Hump Day, which actually I think ended up being the it last one. It was the last day. one. And I don't even know if they're going to bring it back. So um, oh, I always love going to Hump Day. Yeah. I no, it was. Say, can, we, can we get a petition started? <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Um yeah, so who would have thought, you know, when we were talking about, you know, and a lot of what we talked about at the time was the challenges of opening up a new restaurant and a new brewery and, um, you know, learning the process, building culture with your team, that sort of thing. Um, and then 
I guess we didn't realize that the biggest challenges were like directly ahead for you guys. Um, what has the last two years been like? If you can like, you know, even begin to sum it up. Like what, what, when you look back at it, like. I think we can open a restaurant in a month's time now. Like I think if we were to relocate or reopen and <laughs> open another yeah. phase two of Prairie Dog Brewing, would be a lot easier. We, because we've reopened, we've closed and reopened. Yeah. Seven times in the last two years, all with different regulations and all with different. And I was trying to count it the other day and I got to 17 different times where the regulations changed, either where we weren't able to have dine in or it was restrictions on table numbers or restrictions on who could sit at the table within the table numbers or patio only or and it got up to 17 times in the last two years that we've had to sort of swap and and. I think I said in the last time we chatted, like such a big challenge is staffing. Yeah. And it's it's making sure that we're able to bring people in, but able to bring people in within that culture and that and within the values that we hold as a business. Um, and that they really buy into it and they because we want people to come in and not us to say, here's our culture, you need to abide by it. Right. But people to come in because of that culture that we have and have them be the voice of that culture, be the driving force. Yeah. The two, these last two years have been really difficult because there's been that added stress of, well, what's tomorrow going to be? And it's not the excitement when we're opening of what's tomorrow going to be like, <laughs> what are we going to get to build? What's going to like, what are we going to be able to offer? What are we going to be able to brew? Yeah. It's a, it's very anxious. What is tomorrow going to bring? And I think, our staff, we've been really fortunate. We had to do an initial layoff in the very beginning, but we've been able to keep our staff since, like once we were able to reopen, we were able to keep our staff for the most part since that our big hire. Um, some of the staff that we kept on through the pandemic, we lost because they were the one, they were the strongest team members. And then we worked them through the pandemic. And this happened in every restaurant. You kept your strong team members on, they were the ones that had to go through that anxiety with the ownership yeah. of the, the restaurant. And that's, you see a full industry burnout of those staff now. So now it's finding team members that buy in and maybe they don't have the same experience, but I don't know. I'm really at this point, I don't remember what the question is. I'm just going to ramble on no, <laughs> I, I love it. at this point. I think our team is maybe the strongest we've ever had because they are, they've really bought into what we're doing. And the fact that we not only survived the pandemic, but that we did it with flair, I'd like to say. Yeah. <laughs> we had some more challenges than others with the patio. We didn't have a patio. Totally. As of two summers ago. Yeah. <laughs> like, and then we built a patio and then we had to shut it down two days later. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then we got to yeah. reopen it a month and a half later or whatever that was. And then was. the smokes rolled in and we weren't able to actually have right. people sitting on the yeah. patio anyways. The last two years has been the best two years of our life. <laughs> Add sarcasm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah Sarcasm right. included. Um, so one of the things that you've talked about a lot, and I just want to maybe get you to... Um, get into a little bit more detail which is the culture that you guys have created because some a lot of times culture is something that people realize they have kind of after the fact it kind of um is built maybe organically and you look back and like wow we have a really cool culture whereas i feel like you guys started very intentionally from day one with 
this is what our values are. This is what we want as a culture. So can you talk about that a little bit about what, what are your values and, and what is the culture here? Yeah, so our values, uh, we've defined them several times, but we... Um, Sorry, sorry to interrupt you. There. I, there's hand Mark, movements can I, can happening because there's can an I get empty, you another beer. <laughs> sure. Empty glass of beer. Do you want uh, one of these crispy girls, or do you want something else? No, I would love another one of those. Perfect. Those are fantastic. We can talk about. And we're going to talk about that. Yes, yeah, so we can talk, talk about, about crispy yeah. girl. Um, now I've I've already interrupted here, and we've probably forgotten. So rude. No, question. it's culture. This I'm, is not a question I forget. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm just trying to make sure Mark has a beer in his hand. That's part of the positive culture. Is you know, no empty glasses. Yep. And, oh, that sound of the can, yeah. our first labeled can cracking open. <laughs> All right, culture. <laughs> yeah, I think you, you did hit the nail on the head when you said that we were very intentional when we started. Um, we brought in, and I'm, his name is now um, evading me, but we brought in a culture coach to actually see what we were doing and help us with kind of the, that original business plan making sure that it included that and the original staff that we had come in, making sure that we were including what the business is about. And it's a buzzword, so I hate using it as a value, but inclusivity and being fully accessible was huge to us. And that was, that's really the foundation of our culture. It's creating a space for people to gather where they don't fear, no matter who they're walking, who's walking or rolling in the door, they are, they don't fear any sort of discrimination, either right. from our team, from other guests that are in the building. We've asked guests to leave that have been very rude and obnoxious, and even they think that's contained to the table. But we've created such a space where it's conversation friendly. You can hear everybody behind us. Totally. You can yeah. hear the next table, not in an annoying, obnoxious way, but in a way that you feel like you're part yeah, of something. Absolutely. And yeah. The facility itself is inclusive, right? Again, it's, it's intentional. Not, yeah, yeah. It's not yeah. just the, uh, it's not just the culture that uh, we as owners and founders and team members alike try to espouse. <clears throat> um, the facility itself is is also entirely inclusive, which I'll let Laura speak. And about. when you say inclusive, you asked her the question. <laughs> no, but when you say inclusive, like you're you're talking, obviously, you know, people of whatever gender you are whatever race whatever religion but then also from a physical aspect of it as well right mm -hmm. so people in in wheelchairs like it, it, like is that when you talk inclusivity you're talking physical and and every other kind of aspect is that full right? inclusive yeah a lot of and i feel like a lot of people you can say oh and all the isms we don't we don't tolerate the isms the and they go into um now I'm thinking phobias, transphobia and sexism and racism. And like, there's a lot of isms. And I think the main one that people forget is ableism because it's something a lot of us don't have to worry about. Yeah. We can go up a flight of stairs to get to a restaurant. That's not a barrier to us. And totally. when we opened and thankfully we found this space that worked the big open floor concept, which we tore all the walls down to make it an open floor, but we were able to actually fall through, like follow through with that vision and, from day one. Well, I chatted with uh, Sean Crump, who uh, he's in a wheelchair and he works to make sure that places are accessible. Um, and just t talking with him, you realize 
it doesn't take very it doesn't take much of a barrier to make something not accessible to them and the term that he used that really resonated resonated with me was you know everybody's temporarily able-bodied he's like so when you make things universally accessible it means that when you are no longer able-bodied you will be able to benefit from it being universally accessible so it's actually within everybody's best interest to make things um, accessible right yeah we still have a ways to go there's still um, projects that our cash flow hasn't allowed like having um, the button on the door and yeah. we still need to extend the ramp out. Like, there's things that we know yeah. that are not yeah. 100%, but to the best of our ability so far. We've Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, okay, thinking about COVID again, what, what is, are there, are there positives? That, this is the last question. <laughs> I oh, promise, there. I promise. But are there positives that, that came out of it? Like when you look at it, is it, are there, because I guess it's a weird question, but when I do ask it, a lot of people have positives when they when they are able to reflect for you guys was have there been positives 100 yep. percent. it's it's difficult sometimes some days it's a lot harder to find them when we go back but if, if we look back a year from now we'll be able to document okay this was a positive that was a positive it's, we now have beer in cans we didn't yep. have beer in cans prior to the pandemic mind you we had had a goal of having them in proper labels and distribution by the end of 2020 yep. We didn't. 2020, and then <laughs> <laughs> hashtag. And then hashtag. we uh, we also have a takeout and delivery program now that we didn't have prior to it, and that wasn't really. It was kind of on our radar, but it wasn't mm -hmm. something that was a priority. Yeah. yeah. And when we got shut down the first time, it took us. It was within a week. It was within a week we designed a, a takeout and delivery program so that we were able to. We started. We signed up with four different delivery uh, apps. Yeah, um, we're down to one now, which really worked out for us. But it was, you know, COVID, what it did to us mentally and financially um, was damn near, damn near destroyed us. But what it forced us to do was be nimble and um, somewhat adventurous almost like and uh, and kind of get our shit together and and make those decisions and make those choices and make those programs that we needed to survive yeah we just we jumped right in on it um that was one of the one of the things that i'm so proud about is a hopefully we're on the back end of this shit and Not there, there aren't are. there the aren't any more <laughs> waves and whatnot but we have come out of this stronger than we went into it well you guys are sitting at a table together and smiling at each other so <laughs> i don't know of all businesses because we have beers oh, there's, <laughs> there's there's times we did that in board yeah. meetings where we're like well fuck, what are we gonna do yeah. i don't know smile and let's let's figure it out totally let's uh let's get this thing on the road for the next couple of weeks and Let's make sure we can make payroll and let's make sure we can pay our rent. And yeah, yeah, paying our team is always a priority, which is yeah. why like we haven't had a paycheck again. We we started paying ourselves yeah, at the we very were... beginning of 2020 and then we stopped paying ourselves so that we could pay our team. And now we're we did. There was a stint of paying ourselves again in the middle there for a few months. And yeah, then we that were, went back we were out in a few months. There. It's a it's it's we, a labor of love, right? Like. We didn't, none of us ever thought that this was going to be easy. You know, most restaurants fail within the first five years. Yeah. 
and here not two years of those being a pandemic. Yeah. yeah. Here we are so coming up on four. When you talk about sacrificing and, you know, not paying yourself, um, you know, because obviously through this, you know, as like my primary business is to do festivals. So we kind of got hit right in the, uh-huh. right yep. in the kisser on that too. But the only reason you can really do that is if you have a vision for something that's going to be better. So when you guys think about what your vision is and, and why you're motivated to, you know, maybe not pay yourself at certain times to get through it, what is the vision then? Like, what is, what are you doing it for? We're doing it for each other. You know, we've we've been we've been supported by wonderful family members outside of the business and inside of the business. But there's, please drink that. We can no, get more. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, she's drinking it. We can wave somebody else. Over <laughs> no, we're good. It's okay. I still have to work after um, this. <laughs> We've, we do it for each other, Mark. We don't, you know, the five founders, we, we, we care an awful lot about each other as much as we care an awful lot about the business. And none of us is willing to, none of us are willing to give up on it. Yeah. So we're going to go down kicking and screaming if we go down. And again, after two years of a pandemic, we're not going anywhere. I love it. We've always aspired to be a place that people want to be a part of. Yeah. That is a destination for people to come to Calgary, to come to Alberta, to come from the outer skirts of Calgary, because Calgary is a big ass city, just to be a place for people to gather and to give up on this base, give up on the business is almost giving up on the, the idea that people still want to get together and it's still a human want and need. Yeah. And it's personally, that's why I keep, I'm like, I'm willing to have this part, this hardship currently because I think we are going to be the best place for people to gather and develop friendships and to bond and bond over barbecue and beer. There's nothing better to bond (laughs) over. Yeah. And we created our space with big communal tables so that people could meet a stranger and, cheers and say hi and develop a friendship and that's that's my drive like that's every morning it's okay who can what friendship can we create (laughs) now yeah within our consumers who can we connect with yeah right so you mentioned that you are now in cans and um you've been smiling the whole time (laughs) that we've been chatting looking at this can um so a couple of things one is just even seeing your product in a can is is kind of cool because it's like you know you know you can distribute this across whatever it is across calgary across alberta kind of thing so knowing that it's going to be in potentially in liquor stores and and uh, that must be pretty cool but on top of that it's um this particular beer is is it the pink boots beer Mm -hmm. you guys have created so can you talk a little bit about what first of all what is pink boots society and then and then the beer that you guys created for this yeah so pink boot society is an international organization that was created to um, inspire assist and encourage women in the alcohol and fermented be- beverage industries um, through scholarships and and different organ like different programs to educate to further their careers um, this is this one in particular this year with this pink boots brewers especially Close to my heart, and I'm so fucking proud of this beer, Mark. <laughs> um, it is a collaboration with Christina at Exhale Bruco. Over the last year in particular, 
we've, we've been friends for years, but over the last year, we've developed a deeper respect and friendship. And partially because we both hit rock bottom at the early of 2021. Personally, neither one of us knew if we would wake up the next morning because we were just in such dark places. Um, we called, I, I forget who had called the other one or it was a text message. And it was, how can we help each other? What can we do? And Christina brought up the idea of a check-in, which I loved. So we, ever since early 2021, every Monday morning, we call each other, we check in, we check in on our businesses and our goals and what did we accomplish that year or that week, what challenges we're having, um, whether we're not like, okay, are you able to put pants on today and actually go into your job or do I need to put pants on and come to you? That's kind yeah. of the, like, and it's just been absolutely incredible. Fast forward a year to early 2021 and it was when we were particularly in a, a difficult business position and trying to figure out how do we make it to the end of this pandemic. And Christina asked, how can I help? And I, I said, you know what? I don't actually know. Like this, I don't know at this point. She said, okay, I'm putting pants on, coming to you. Within an hour, she was here. We were brainstorming and this collaboration was born. And um, we, we at Prairie Dog had been wanting to do a cold IPA for a little while because it's a brand new style to Alberta. I think it's the first, I think Blind Man maybe did one, but I think it was only launched in BC. Don't quote me on that. But um, I think this is the first commercial IPA in Alberta. So and I, can I ask a dumb question? What's a cold IPA? <laughs> I hey, was getting I've, there. I've had to ask <laughs> that as well. <laughs> I I'm, was getting I'm, there. Okay. I like drinking beer, but I don't yeah. know a lot about it. So it's a relatively new style just out of Portland, Oregon. Um, it is a mashup hybrid between a European lager and a West Coast IPA. So it's a IPA that is lagered. So it's lagered warm. This one in particular with ours we didn't do any bittering hop additions, so you really get that hop aroma, that hop flavor, without the punch in your face that a lot of people, I think, when someone's like, oh, I don't like hoppy beer, yeah, and you try to just figure out why, my personal opinion is it's that bittering, like it's not super balanced or it's that way bittering hop punch in your face. Yeah. This beer, I've lovingly dubbed the hoppy beer for people that don't like hoppy beers. Because <laughs> there's no, it's just, it's a simple malt beer. It's crystal clear. Like it looks like a lager. Totally. When you, it's so pretty. <laughs> so so it's, pretty. Got the, it's got the taste of a it's got the, West Coast IPA, but not the look of it. And, but it's got the ABV of it. It's yeah. 6.8%. Yeah. It looks like a four, like a nice four, yeah. four and a half totally. <laughs> This is a perfect patio beer. Maybe not on the river because we don't want people to. Yeah, just have, overboard, a, yeah, but. have a half one. No, and it's, it's also our first beer. Sorry to cut you off. No. I'm just going to, I will rave about this no, beer yeah, for hours. Keep going, keep going. Yeah. It's also it's a fantastic our story. very first beer that has a um, big girl label on it. And... I think I'm personally proud of it because I've been, this beer in particular, I've been a part of almost every single step of the beer. I helped with recipe development. I helped with, uh, I designed the label. We had a ton of contribution um, for ideas on the label, but it was like, I designed it. I labeled every single one of them, except for I think four, Tyler did. You brewed it, didn't you? I was there for the brew day. Yeah. 
Um, I learned a lot from our brewer, Curtis, and from Christina, who was also there on the brew day. And it's just, I just love the story behind it and the power behind it, being that it's Christina and myself that, and it's, it's a mutual beneficial collaboration. Most are, why would you collaborate if it's not? But That's true. Um, Christina's really helping us. This is actually available in four liquor stores already to be five today, um, which is our first cans, except for one of our Apocalypse cans did end up in a liquor yeah. store early in the pandemic. Explain to folks what an Apocalypse can is. The Apocalypse cans, is we've lovingly dubbed them as all of our cans up until this point, they have a Dymo, a little Dymo label on the bottom that just has our logo. Just a little the, white label. It's a, it's a silver can. It's just a little just, white label that bullets. gives you all the information. Nice. Yeah. But this one is not. This one's got a grown-up brewery label on it. All, all grown up. All yeah. grown up. It's it just the great. start of something great. Where does the name come from? Crispy Girl. And yeah. Girl spelled G-U-R-L. That's just because it looked better. But <laughs> That's the marketing side uh, of Laura. Just kidding. That's actually. Um, I tried it with a K. So we used uh, Crispy Quebec Yeast or Cavia. I I'm not actually a brewer. I don't know how to pronounce that yeast. Kavik. Kavik. Um, it's a crispy. <laughs> we used crispy sure. yeast. Yeah. Um, and we're also just taking back the name of Crispy Boy beer, which is a beer that's typically a lager that's in the crisper drawer of your fridge. Okay. I don't. I'm. Sh- I've that was something I had never heard of before as well. Oh, grab me so. a crispy boy is commonly said in the summertime. And it's just one of those loggers that's in the crisper drawer of your fridge. Oh, yeah. And we're taking that name back. There you go. It's crispy girl. Yeah. And we're also <laughs> calling them tall girl cans. Nice. Tall, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, this is awesome. Thanks so much for, for hanging out with me. Um, we've been wanting to kind of reconnect and do the podcast for a while. And then um, it worked out really well because... You guys have such good food here, so it's so nice to be able to talk about the food program as well. Um, and I was talking to Darcy, who is with Alberta Pork and just an absolute gem of a human being. And uh, he wanted to you know, get more um, podcasts to talk about some of the food that's associated with some of the breweries. Um, so he's going to come into town and do a tour. So I already told him nice. that uh, we're, awesome. we're stopping when here you, for sure. Sorry to interrupt you. When you... You talked to Graham Sherman a couple of weeks ago, right? Uh, yeah, I had to. I mean, just, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, no. I love it's, it's always fun talking to Graham. Yeah. Um, as far as uh, when you're talking about Alberta pork um, and, uh, you know, the uh, what's the, the barley and smoke? So the barley and yeah. smoke festival. That is not your festival. I'm sorry. No, that's um, okay. You were there the first time. You voted for us. We won. We won best ribs the first year, and then the pandemic. Which are pork ribs. Our pork ribs. Thank you. Um, we're gonna probably bring beef ribs next time because that'll just. It's gonna be really expensive for us, but yeah. that'll just be a game. It'll changer. be ground. So that's that's the thing is that <laughs> it's all about yeah. beating ground. So we right? won. We won best best ribs the first year. Graham won this past year. We took best beer. We did take best they beer, so best that's something. Well, um, I gotta, I gotta make sure I'm judging again this year. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was really, it was really nice to see the smile on Graham's face because you know that guy never smiles. Yeah, no, so. he's very low key, <laughs> low energy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You never yeah. know he's in the room. No, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
no it was cool he's um yeah he's so passionate about everything he does right so then he gets into barbecue or, sorry i know he's been in barbecue for a long time but just yep. as soon as he like decides that that's you know that's where he's going to direct his energy he just goes full yep. manic yep. on it so that's yeah, fun we said i think we said it before the festival if we were going to lose the title of best ribs we to anybody Graham was, was the, the only one, one that we were, would we were, and, we were, and you're okay no, with that? No offense to the no, rest of the okay. <laughs> barbecue folks. Not okay with it. They, I'm but okay. I'm, with I'm it. happy with. I'm yeah. happy for them. But no, I mean, it's. I think it's cool. Like obviously through the podcast, I want to share the story of you know the local breweries and and all the hard work that you guys put in. But to also be able to share the story of you know how you guys are are you know working hard and and have such an awesome food program too it's it's nice to be able to share that story so thanks for taking well, the thanks. time i appreciate it and that's, uh yeah we, really we finally got it we've been talking about this for a long time finally. so yeah. yeah but um no uh, everything that uh, you guys are doing um i know the battles that it's been for the last two years so it's so cool that you guys have have battled through it and uh yeah hopefully there's some good days ahead for all of us there is I mean, is. there's a beer festival in a couple months. <laughs> there so there's, is. There's yeah. That. yeah. And if anybody wants to work a booth, <laughs> I can give my email. <laughs> I like it. Awesome. Okay. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Thanks Mark. Mark. Thanks Bye. so much. Hey, everybody. I just want to thank you for listening to the Let's Meet for a Beer podcast. If you enjoyed the conversation, please rate us where you download your podcasts and share the episode with your friends. For more information on other projects our team is working on, please visit letsmeetforabeer.com. I hope you join us next week for another behind-the-scenes conversation and have a great day.